Right. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, today, we're going to be in several different passages. So a little bit out of the norm for me. I'm typically preaching through, you know, a section of Scripture. But today, we're going to be looking at why is prayer important to our mission? Or that's the question that we're going to be answering this morning. And we're going to be in a number of different texts. So Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 6, James chapter 5, 1 Kings 17 through 18. I don't expect you to remember all of those. Uh, they will come up on the screen this morning, so you will get a little bit of a break. I still want, I don't want you to get in the habit of not bringing your Bible, not expecting to open it to a particular passage. Today is an anomaly, so you will get the text on the screen. Just wanted to, to let you guys know that uh, as we walk, walk through. Uh, but if you'd like to turn, the first passage we will be in is Matthew 28. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll dive into today's message. God, we thank you for this morning and this opportunity to gather together as a church uh, to open your word, Lord. We count this as a privilege, an opportunity to learn from you, God. And we pray that we would do that this morning, that we would learn how you would have us to pray or how you would have us to think about prayer in regard to our mission to make disciples and Lord, spur us on as we leave here as well to apply this message to our life and help us to think about that as we walk through this text this morning. Amen. Well, off and on over the last several years, and really last several years, I've been reading this book, Dynamic of the Spiritual Life by Richard Lovelace. And this book, it deals with the topic of renewal and revival. And he has a section in that book on dependent prayer. And in that section, he says this, If all regenerate church members in Western Christendom were to intercede daily simply for the most obvious spiritual concerns visible in their homes, their workplaces, their local churches and denominations, their nations, and the world and the total mission of the body of Christ within it, the transformation which would result would be incalculable. Not only would God certainly change those situations in response to prayer, but the churches comprehension of its task would attain an unprecedented sharpness of focus. And then he goes on to exhort us to say, perhaps much of our prayer now should simply be for God to pour out such a spirit of prayer and supplication in the hearts of his people. Now, along with telling us that prayer is powerful, that that prayer actually brings about change, Lovelace also tells us that prayer is important because it brings the church's mission to the forefront. It brings the church's mission to the forefront. Now, what is the church's mission? Well, for the last couple of weeks as we've been going through this series on mission, we have looked at this passage, Matthew chapter 28, and and we're going to look at it again this morning just briefly, and we're doing that because it is such a foundational passage for our mission. I just can't seem to get away from it when I'm preparing our sermon. So Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20 says, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, our mission as a church is to make disciples. And not only does the whole Bible point to that mission as you begin to read through Scripture, but Jesus himself tells us in Matthew chapter 28 that our mission as the church is to make disciples. 
That's what we are to be about, making disciples. And making disciples, it happens both outside the church and making disciples happens inside the church. So outside the church, making disciples happens as we are seeking to win others to Christ, to help them to see that, that Christ is really our only hope, that, that it is only through Christ then we can experience salvation. And so as we present the message of the gospel to those outside of the church, we're seeking to help them, we're we're seeking to call them to Christ so that they might too become followers of Jesus just like we are. But making disciples also happens inside the church. So we don't just win people to Christ and say, all right, brother, you are good. We know as a church, we now seek to make disciples inside the church as they come to become members of our church. We seek to help them to grow to be more like Christ. And so making disciples happens both inside the church and outside the church. And that is what our mission is to be as a church, to make disciples. But here's the thing. We can easily, easily get thrown off of our mission when we get focused on other things, right? We, we all have our own preferences and, and our comforts. Uh, we all are seeking different achievements or we might be seeking recognition. When we're, when we're allowing those things to become our focus, our preference, our comforts, our achievements, our recognition for seeking those achievements, when we get focused on those things, That's when we get thrown off of our mission to make disciples because things become about us rather than about other people. And if we're going to make disciples, then we have to be about other people. And so what we need to do is we need to reset our focus. And we need to reset our focus on a daily basis. And the way that we can reset our focus on a daily basis to make disciples is through prayer. So think about it. Think about the things that we pray about. You know, sickness and disease. We've got broken homes and broken marriages and broken communities. We have natural disasters and and so much more that is going on in our life, in the life of the community, in the life of the nation, in the life of the world. You see, our world is a broken world. Our world is a world that is ravaged by sin. And people, they they end up trying to cope with this brokenness in all kinds of different ways, right? Maybe it's self-medication or materialism or seeking sexual conquest or career advancement or, or a number of different things. But no matter what, here's the thing, we, we cannot escape the fact that we live in a broken world and this broken world is constantly pressing in on us. There's nothing that we can do to, to really cope with that to, to, to it the ultimate level, right? We, we can kind of take things for, for a time and, and push out the brokenness for a time, but ultimately that brokenness is going to come back in and it's going to come back in and it's going to be haunting us. And prayer, when we pray, that reminds us of the brokenness. And that reminder should spur us on to make disciples. See, as Christians, we know that hope exists in Jesus and Jesus alone. And since prayer also reminds us of this hope, constant prayer should then spur us on to tell other people about the hope that we have in Jesus, about the hope that they could have in Jesus. And so prayer is important to our mission because prayer reminds us what our mission is. But then prayer also spurs us on so that we are constantly on mission, so that we are out there making disciples for Christ, so that we are inside the church focused on making disciples for Jesus. And so for the sake of our mission then, 
We must be a people who pray. But prayer not only brings our mission into focus, prayer is important because prayer reminds us that we need God in order to accomplish our mission. Prayer reminds us that we need God in order to accomplish our mission. I told you I was going to put the scripture up there and I didn't, so sorry about that. Uh, I was flipping through that there. So America, think about America. America has a strong work ethic. Really, since the beginning, America has been known to have a strong work ethic. Our, our, our work ethic has become known as the American work ethic, or in certain circles, you might think of it as the Protestant work ethic. And the American work ethic is both good and bad. It's good in the sense that, that we are highly productive. I mean, we, we, we produce a lot. But it's bad in the sense that, that it can drive too much work. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon for people to work well over 40 hours a week. And all of that work, what ends up happening is it takes parents away from their kids. It takes church members away from the church. And it can create health issues, both mentally and physically. And on top of that, the American work, work ethic also drives us away from prayer instead of driving us to prayer. Prayer is often thought of as idle time. Right? We might be talking to God. We might be, be praying to God. But, but, we, but we don't feel as if we are producing anything during that time, which leaves that time feeling useless to us. And when we begin to think that prayer is useless and we could be doing something else in order to, to, to create or produce, well, what's going to happen? We're going to ease up on the time that we are spending in prayer. Now, even as a pastor... I feel this strain from time to time. I'm praying when I could be reading or writing or, or engaging other people. And sometimes I catch myself thinking, you know, I just need to get through this time of prayer so that I can get some real work done. Or, or even worse, I just don't know if I have time for prayer today because I need to read, I need to write, I need to, I need to prepare to meet with someone. And if I feel that way, and, and prayer is really a, a part of my job description, if I feel that way from time to time, I know that, that you guys probably feel that way from time to time as well. The American culture has had a major impact on our prayer life. And while the American culture does drive prayerlessness from time to time, we can't just blame, blame prayerlessness on our culture. Certainly it influences us, but, but we ultimately have to own up to the fact that we are a people who trust more in ourselves than in God. We're people who trust more in ourselves than God. Paul Miller in A Praying Life, he says this, one of the subtlest hindrances to prayer is probably the most pervasive. In the broader culture and in our churches, we prize intellect, competency, and wealth. Because we can do life without God, praying seems nice but unnecessary. Money can do what prayer does and it's quicker and less time-consuming. <clears throat> our trust in our time and our trust in ourselves and in our talents makes us structurally independent of God. As a result, as a result, exhortations to pray don't stick. I mean, do you hear what he's saying? We don't pray because we believe that we don't need God at times. We believe that, that we can do this on our own, that, that we've got this thing, that, that God maybe will call on you if things get really hard, if things get really tough and we're just way out of our league. But, but those day-to-day -day things, those things that, that, are, that are a little bit hard, but they're not really that tough. Well, God, we've got this. And so we don't need you. See, we depend on ourselves 
more than we depend on God. A little money, a little ingenuity, a a few connections. I mean, that's what we believe will get the job done for us. But that's far from the truth. We need God, and prayer reminds us that we need God. And if you're not convinced, consider how God has worked through prayer in the the past and how God has worked through prayer in Scripture. So, the Hernhut Awakening. In 1727, Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf. I mean, that's a name right there, right? Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf, he he formed a community on his land of of refugees. And this community, he called this community Hernhut. And the community itself consisted of a hodgepodge of different groups. There were Catholics, there were Protestants, there were Moravians. They were all living together. And for the first three years, they all quarreled with one another, right? There was no peace in Hernhut at all. And so Zinzendorf said, we've got to do something. We've got to do something about this. And so what he did is he set up an around-the-clock prayer meeting so that that at any point of the day, somebody was praying for that particular community. And you know what happened? A community that had been quarreling with one another for three years all of a sudden stopped. They became unified. They started to support and minister to one another. They began to love and care for one another. They were united, and the the unity... It wasn't the result of Zinzendorf saying, we need a town hall meeting. We all got to get together and we got to figure out how we're going to fix this thing. It wasn't the result of some just amazing breakthrough counseling session. No, it was the result of prayer. You see, prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things. Or consider the prayer meeting of 1857. Jeremiah Lanford, he was a businessman living in New York City during that time. And, and in Lanford's day, New York City was, you know, not unlike New York is today. It, it, was, it was full of corruption and, and gambling and greed and, and atheism and, and, and sin just, just ran rampant. Apathy towards God ran rampant in this city. And Lanford, he, just, he could have done a number of things. He could have said, you know, I'm a Christian. I don't want to be in this environment. I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'm leaving New York City. He could have, you know, complained and just grumbled about it to his friends and and nothing really would have ever happened at all then. Or he could have said, you know, I'm going to run for public office and I'm going to vow to change things. I'm going to vow to clean up this city. Well, Lanford didn't do any of those things. Instead, Lanford decided to pray. He believed in the power of prayer. And so he put an ad in the newspaper calling for a weekly prayer meeting that would meet over the lunch hour. And that first prayer meeting, it was, a, it was a humble prayer meeting. There were six people that showed up. But they continued to meet week in and week out. And within six months, there were 10,000 people meeting, not weekly, but daily over the prayer meeting, over, over their lunch hour. And this sparked what is known as the Third Great Awakening. And it all started with Jeremiah Lanford's burden to pray. You see, prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things. And these stories tell us that is true as well as Scripture reveals the power of prayer. James, he tells us in James chapter 5 that the prayer of a righteous person has great power. And then to back that statement up, he turns to the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 17 and 18. Now, this is an interesting story. Elijah is a very interesting character. 
a story here that, that not only shows the, the power of God, but it also shows the power of prayer. So at this time, uh, Ahab, he was the king over Israel, and, and Ahab was a wicked king. He wasn't a good king. He was leading the people to worship Baal, not to worship the one true God. And so God sends Elijah to Ahab to tell him, hey, it's not going to rain for several years. <clears throat> and of course, the lack of rain brought on a drought, and that drought ended up bringing a famine to the land. <clears throat> now, during this time, Elijah, he, he traveled around to all of the different places where the Lord had led him, and the Lord ended up leading him to this widow who had a son who lived in Zarephath. And when they got there, she was building a fire to cook literally her and her son's last meal. Like, this is all the food that she had. There's a drought. There's a famine. There's no way for her to get any food. They were going to enjoy this last meal together, and then they were going to wait to starve to death. And Elijah shows up, and God provides. He provided her with a supply of flour and oil that lasted the entire time until the famine was over. And not only that, not only did he do that so he could take care of her family, but, but also so that she could take care of Elijah. And while that's miraculous, that's not the only thing that the Lord did during this time. Shortly after Elijah arrived, her son became ill and died. And of course, this lady's mad at Elijah. And she's like, you came here, well, you gave us this miracle of this flour and oil, but, but now I don't have a son. I mean, what, what am I going to do, Elijah? And so he takes him to his chambers where he was staying, and he, he literally lays on him, and then he prays for him, and, and he resurrects from the dead. And so Elijah brings this son back to life through prayer. Really, God brings the son back to life through prayer. Our God is a powerful God. But still more happens during this episode. After three years, God sends Elijah back to King Ahab, and he, been, he says, you know, I want you to call all of the prophets to Mount Carmel. And so all the prophets of Baal and, and some others came. And Elijah says to them, look, I want to have a duel of sorts. Uh, I want to really see whose God is the most powerful God. Here's what we're going to do if you guys will accept. We're going to build an altar. And on this altar, we're going to place a bull and we're going to pray to our God. And whichever God rains down fire and consumes this bull is the one true God. <coughs> And that is the God that we are going to worship. And so they say, okay, we, uh, we're, we're going to do that. We, we accept your duel, Elijah. And he says, great, you guys can go first. And so it's morning time. They build their altar. They put their bull on it. They begin to call out to their God, and he doesn't answer. And Elijah's making fun of them during this time. And, and they continue to call out more. It's midday now and they're calling out and they're, they're beating themselves and they're cutting themselves and they're doing whatever they can or whatever they know to do to get their God to answer. And he's silent. He doesn't answer. Finally, the day passes. It's, it's evening and Elijah says, okay, my turn. Builds the altar, puts the bull on it and he says, before I pray, I want you guys to dump some water on it. And so they do. And he says, no, 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 more water. And so for the second time, they dump water all over the bull and the altar. And he says, no, I need, I need more water. 
And he puts more water on the altar, so much so that the trench around the altar is full of water. I mean, you, you couldn't light this thing if you wanted to. And Elijah says, okay, now we're ready. And as soon as he begins to pray, fire rains down from heaven and consumes the bull on the altar. And the people just immediately hit their face and begin to worship the Lord. And then after killing the prophets, because he had to do that, after killing the prophets, he goes to Mount Carmel again and he begins to pray. And he says, it's gonna, he tells King Ahab before he goes, it's going to rain. It's going to begin to rain again. And as soon as he begins to pray for rain again, rain begins to fall and the land becomes fruitful once again. And so he sees through these episodes that, that prayer is powerful. That our God is a powerful God. The Bible tells us that. History tells us that. And I know that you have seen the power of God working in your own life as well. So our own experiences tell us that our God is a powerful God. And knowing that our God is a powerful God, we must seek him in prayer in order to accomplish our mission. You see, we like to think that, that we have the ability to change others, to talk other people into believing in Jesus, but we don't. You see, no argument is persuasive enough. Nobody is a good enough salesman to bring a dead man back to life. We need the Lord to raise the dead. And only God can do that. Only God can regenerate a hell-bound sinner. Only the Lord can perform the miracle that we call salvation. Yes, we are used as God's instruments in that, but we are not the ones who are bringing about salvation in that person. God is the one who is working in their life, in their heart, calling them to himself so that they might believe in him as their Lord and Savior. God is literally raising a dead man to life when we become believers, when we become followers, when we admit that Jesus is our Savior and Jesus is our Lord. And if we believe that to be true, then we must depend on the God who controls the weather. We must depend on the God who can rain fire down from heaven and consume a bull on the altar. We must depend on the God who can turn the hearts of men to himself. We must be a people who depend on God in prayer so that we might accomplish the mission that God has given us to make disciples. You see, we are not locked in a flesh and blood battle. We are locked in a spiritual battle. And Gail, she, she prepares our, our prayer room and, and the theme that she has had, the, uh, the military theme that she's had going recently is, is calling us to, to pray for those in the armed services who are serving our country in that way. But it's also a good reminder that prayer is actually spiritual warfare. When we are praying, we are entering into battle. We are entering into a spiritual war. We are calling God to act on our behalf. You see, we're not in a flesh and blood battle. We exist in a spiritual war. And so prayer is important because it reminds us that we can accomplish our mission, or it reminds us that we can't accomplish our mission on our own, excuse me, that we need the Lord. That's why we need to be a people who pray. And here's the thing, we can go to God in prayer. We can go to God in prayer because we have a unique relationship with Him. 
In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins to teach his disciples how to pray. And there's a, there's a lot of instruction that takes place in Matthew chapter 6, but what I want to draw your attention to is, is how Jesus refers to God in these verses. In verses 6 and 8 and 9 and 14 and 15, he calls him Father. And not just his Father, but he refers to him as our Father and your Father. You see, while it might not seem radical, it is. Jesus is saying that, that, that God the Father is more than just this judge in the sky. God the Father is more than just this person that we need to figure out how we can please. God the Father is more than just a benevolent old grandfather who's going to give us whatever it is that we want when we want that thing. God the Father is our Father, and we are His children. And that's radical. That is a radical idea, especially given that the most other religions tell you that, that God is distant, that you can't really know God, that you can't really have a relationship with God, that you just need to seek to do whatever it is that you can do to please God. And hopefully, hopefully when this life ends, you have done enough so that this God will allow you into heaven. But you can't know. You can't know if you have done enough until that time comes. And that's really hopeless. That is hopeless. We are going through life, doing whatever we can to please a God who's distant, who we can't really have a relationship with, just in hopes that we have done enough. But Christianity is different. God of Christianity is much, much different. The God that we serve is different than that. We can know where we stand with God. And it's not just because Christianity has a clear path of works that we need to do. No, that's not it at all. We can know where we stand with God because through Jesus' work on our behalf, we can have a relationship with him. You see, Jesus came and Jesus spilt his blood so that we might be able to be called children of God. And since God is our father, we can come boldly into the throne room of grace. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we see that it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, historically, the king's throne room has not been a room that, that you could just bust into every time you want and say, Hey, what's up, king? How are things going? Can I ask something of you today? No, that, that's, that's not how it works. I mean, remember the story of Esther. The king was her husband, and she was still afraid to go into his throne room and ask of him, ask to save her people, because she knew what would happen if the king did not extend the scepter to her. She would be liable to death. But here we learn that, that we can come into the throne room of the king anytime we like. We don't need to be invited. We don't need a special invitation. We don't need to worry when we go into that throne room if we are going to be killed or not. Hebrews, the scripture here in Hebrews tells us that we can go boldly into the throne room of God because Jesus has gone before us. And Jesus has made a way for us to enter into the throne room anytime that we like. And that's amazing. I mean, we can enter into the throne room of not just an earthly king, 
but the cosmic king, the all-sovereign God of this universe, the creator of this entire world, we can enter into his throne room and we can petition him in prayer. Isn't that amazing? We have the ear of the cosmic king. We have the ear of the all-sovereign God of this universe. We have the ear of the one who can and will do far more than we could ever, ever imagine. And we can go to him in prayer because he is our father and we are his children. And so we need not shy away from God. We need not be afraid to turn to our Heavenly Father. Instead, we must seek Him in prayer so that we might be reminded of our mission and so that we can accomplish our mission as a church. You see, it's easy for us to lose focus. It's easy for us to think that that we've got this, that we can do this on our own. But prayer, prayer is a constant reminder that we can't. Prayer also empowers us for our mission. And so we need to be a people of prayer. We need to be a people who constantly call on the name of the Lord in prayer. And so Christian, don't neglect prayer. It's crucial for our mission. If we're going to be a church on mission, then we need to be a church that prays. So let's prioritize prayer in our life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. God, we thank you for this message. We thank you that you can, you refocus us through prayer. Recognize that we must depend on you. So God, help us to do that. Help us not to think that we can do things on our own. Help us not to think that prayer is idle time. Help us to see the importance of prayer for our mission, God, so that we might Accomplish what you have called us to accomplish. To make disciple, making disciples of all peoples. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.